even as people might define themselves by their ancestry and where they're from, Genesis 10 tells us this morning that, that even before you were from that place that you came from, the north, the, mid, the Mideast, the Mid-Atlantic, wherever it's from, even before you were from that place, there's a grand story in all of creation recorded in the book of Genesis that connects everyone together. Genesis 10 tells us that all of humanity came from the same family, descended from Adam through Noah and his three sons. That's where we've been in the book of Genesis, seeing God's plan to repopulate the earth through Noah's three sons. And what we see here in Genesis 10, all of humanity came from one family. So even before you were from New York or from Texas, while you may trace your heritage to Latin America or to Africa or to Europe, long before that, you can keep tracing way back, your ancestry way back to Genesis chapter 10 and what we see referred to as the table of nations. And we see here that we are united in our human origin, God creating mankind, God preserving humanity, and giving the human race a new beginning through Noah and through his three sons. And while we have unity through, through one family here in Genesis chapter 10, we also see here that the people became divided. We see division being spread out by geography and by language and by ethnicity and most of all, by their sin. You see, that's what sin does. Sin separates. Sin divides. First vertically in a relationship with God, but then also horizontally. Sin divides and it separates. And that's what we also see in Genesis 10 and then in Genesis 11. So a greater unity must be found than just a common ancestry. The people of the earth need a unity that is found in their creator, in God. And that's what we're going to consider this morning in the book of Genesis. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 10. Genesis 10, the best way to stay engaged with the sermon is just to open up your Bible. We're going to go through this long list of descendants here in Genesis 10 together this morning. If you need to use the Pew Bible, that's found on page 7 page 7 of the Pew Bible. And if you've come this morning, you don't own a Bible, we want to give that Bible to you as a gift to you. So take that home with you, read it. In fact, we'd love to connect you with someone here uh, that could help you read more about, uh, read more about, more in the Bible, more about God and who he is and his word. You can see a pastor at the guest tent on the way out if you're interested more in that. Genesis chapter 10 on page 7. And what we're going to do this morning, rather than reading through all of this up front, I'm just going to read as we go this morning. Now, you may have read this earlier in the week, and we always put the, the passage on the back of the bulletin that we plan to preach the next Sunday. Maybe you read through Genesis 10 this week, and you thought, well, how do you get a sermon out of this? And believe me, I had that question most mornings in my study this week. Uh, Genesis chapter 10, but we know that, that all of God's word, it's breathed out by him, that it's profitable. There's something for us to gain here. And even though that might be something that you might be tempted to kind of buzz through in your Bible reading plan, there's good reason to study Genesis chapter 10 this morning. Now listen to what one commentary had to say. The 10th chapter of Genesis remains one of the least satisfactorily studied passages in the book. Now, it's not hard to imagine why. Right? Lots of names that are hard to pronounce, even though I took Hebrew a long time ago, or, well, it seems like a long time, about nine years ago in seminary, and even though I might speak a little bit of Hebrew English, 
Uh, that doesn't help you with all these names. They can be difficult to pronounce, and, and why are they here, where are they coming from? But while this chapter may not jump out as exciting as what we saw in the Genesis 6 through 9 with Noah and with his family, chapter 10 contains important information for us to not only understand the rest of Genesis, but the rest of the story of the Old Testament and the New Testament. You see, Genesis 11, we might be more familiar with. We plan to get to that next week, Lord willing, the Tower of Babel. And actually, the tower, we're going to see that it, it happens chronologically before what takes place here in Genesis chapter 10. But Genesis 10 gives us a big picture view of what was happening on planet Earth in that time. Now, in the Bible, there's, there's things that we need to know and things that we need to do. When we think about application, of being in the Bible. There are things we need to know and things we need to do. And maybe sometimes we too quickly look for, hey, what do I need to do? So from this sermon, what does this tell me to do Monday morning? Good question to ask. But sometimes there's passages like this in Genesis chapter 10. There may not be a whole lot that immediately calls you to do, but there are things that you need to know. You and I as Christians, we need to know God's word. We need to see how this grand story of the Bible fits together. And I think that's the utility of this passage. Certainly there's things we can be called to do, and there will be application for that in this sermon. But there's a lot that is profitable for us to know. You know, this is one of the earliest passages to deal with the nations outside of Israel. And as this passage unfolds, I think what you'll see, it's one of the first and one of the great missionary texts in the Bible. This section is known as the Table of Nations. It's kind of like genealogies we've already seen in Genesis, but a little different in that it sets up the Tower of Babel in chapter 11. And the goal here of this genealogy in Genesis 10, or this Table of Nations, is that it tracks through the line of Noah's sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, but the main purpose is to show what became of them after the flood. That's what we would see there in verse 1. Look at verse 1. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. This table shows that they were being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth, just like God had called them to in Genesis chapter 9. And so we get a, a big picture look at the planet. I don't think this is an exhaustive list of, of every nation on earth at that time. I think this is going to be those who Israel would have been most familiar with, and they would have had a relationship to. So this table of nations, the way to break it down, you can see the structure in this table. Verses 2 through 5 cover the descendants of Japheth. Verses 6 through 20 cover the descendants of Ham. And verses 21 through 31 cover the descendants of of Shem. And that order is given because the rest of the book of Genesis will trace through the descendants of Shem. So our outline for the sermon this morning is going to follow the structure of that table of nations, and we'll see this table of nations, think about it, like an early missions map. An early missions map that, that shows God's plan for redemption. The plan he announced in Genesis 3 15 to send this serpent crusher. Chapter 10 almost reads like a map for God's plan. So our outline this morning is going to be three parts to God's plan of redemption. Three parts to God's plan of redemption. The first part we find there in verses 2 through 5. God's plan is to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The first part of the plan in verses 2 through 5. 
God's plan is to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. In verses 2 through 5, we see the descendants of Japheth. Let me start reading there in verse 2. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Jabin, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Rephath, and Togermah. The sons of Jabin, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these, the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans, and their nations. So we have 14 total descendants of Japheth here, seven sons in verse 2, and then in verses 3 and 4, seven grandsons. So if you compare this list of Japheth's descendants to what we see after this with the descendants of Ham and, and Shem, this list is far shorter. And I think the reason because this is because the descendants of Japheth would have been the people furthest away from the nation of Israel and from those people. So this group, it, it stretched far north and far west of Israel, people spreading out to Asia, to Europe. So the people of this line would have been considered the people of the ends of the earth. That, that was them. Japheth, the, the ends of the earth. Now, a couple of details to notice here. Now, you notice this genealogy is not like the other ones in Genesis. And those other genealogies, we kind of got a name, and, and they lived for this long, and they had these kids, and they died. That's kind of the, the formula that it follows. But we don't see that here. And not only do we see the names of individuals, but you also find tribal names here. So there's individuals, but there's also people groups. So like in verse 4, the Kittim and the Dodanim, those are tribes. There's a mix of individuals and tribes here. Also in verse 4, you see the name of a city. Might sound familiar, Tarshish. So you've got cities in this list as well, peoples that descended from Japheth. So you're going to have a combination of individuals, people groups, cities, places that all came from Noah's three sons throughout this table. Now another detail to notice is in verse 5, you see a reference to four categories. Land, languages, clans, and nations. And those four categories we see here are how these coastland peoples, how they spread. Now they were spread or they, they were divided by geography, by language, by different clans, they're different nations. Now, it's important again to note that Genesis 10, it comes before the Tower of Babel in your Bibles, but chronologically, Genesis 10 just shows us what happens after the Tower of Babel, because we see in Genesis 11, 1, there was one language on earth, and we see after that, people spread out different languages. So there's something, a big picture that Moses wanted to give in Genesis 10, that's the what, and then Genesis 11 is, is the why, which we'll get to, Lord willing, next week. Something else to note in these categories is that when you hear the word nations, don't think along the lines of our kind of modern understanding of a nation, kind of with, with state governments and kind of set geographical borders and boundaries. A better way of understanding what's being communicated here with nation is ethnicity. It's not exactly that, but it's kind of just a, a people group. So don't think as much just like Clear Border, Olympics, all these different nations. These are people groups, tribes, clans, Places. Now, we, we noticed last week that the descendants of Japheth, they would become known as what? The Gentiles. This is where the Gentiles would come from. And the blessing at the end of chapter 9 was that they would be blessed in Shem. In other words, the, the Gentiles would be blessed in Israel because Israel came out of the line of Shem. The blessing 
from Genesis 9, 27 was this. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. You see, when Jesus came into the world through the line of Shem, he came to save people to the ends of the earth. People from all of the descendants of Noah, not just from the line of Shem, but for all people. And while the story of the Old Testament zooms in on the line of Shem, moving all the way to Abraham, the line of Japheth that we see here indeed would be blessed to dwell in the tents of Shem. Now in the New Testament in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see the risen Lord Jesus from the line of Abraham, from the line of Shem, calling for the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection to go forward from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then to where? To the ends of the earth, to all nations, to all people. And if you think about this, where we sit now, there is much work to do, and that's why we pray, and that's why we work, and that's why we ask for God to send missionaries out of this very congregation. There is much work to do. But take a moment and think about the tremendous progress by God's grace of the spread of the gospel to the nations. You can't really locate Christianity geographically. You can say, well, here's where Hinduism largely is in the world. Here's where Islam largely is in the world. Now, I know things have changed with patterns of immigration. But if you, if you think about this, you're going to be able to geographically identify a lot of religions. And it's not so with Christianity. I even had a conversation uh, last week with an international student who was here telling him, well, you, you realize like Christianity is not like it didn't start in America. It worked its way here. In fact, we are kind of the, the ends of the earth. Most of us, many of us from the lines of Japheth, so to speak, and God's faithfulness to save and to bless and to redeem in Jesus Christ, to send the gospel out to all nations and all people. You see, this message of the gospel, it is for all people. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we're, we're glad you're here. We, we hope you come next week. You're always welcome to be here, coming to church is a good place to learn more about who God is and what he's done in Jesus. You have to understand this gospel message we proclaim, that we sing about, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins that's only found in the Son of God and Jesus. We don't understand that that's just a good message for us, that we're Christians and we love this message. We understand that gospel message is for everyone. It's for all people. It's for all nations. In fact, we understand that God's plan is that he is being gracious and patient. He's giving people everywhere time to repent of their sin against him, of their breaking of his commandments, of their rejecting of his love. He's being patient, and he's sending out this message of the only way to be made right with him. The only way to be forgiven of your sin against God and to be counted righteous in his holy sight. And that is to repent and trust in his son, Jesus Christ, and the one who died and got up from the dead. This message, it is for all nations. And we see here in Genesis 10, in the line of Japheth, people spreading out to the ends of the earth, and we see God's plan starting to unfold to bring salvation and the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Well, let's consider a second part of God's plan for redemption in verses 6 through 20. Verses 6 through 20, a second part of this plan. God's plan is to spread his glory on earth. 
God's plan is to spread his glory on earth. The second part here of the table of nations is the line of Ham. As we read through the line of Ham, you're going to see a picture of self-glory, the glory of humanity seeking their own glory. Let's start there in verse 6. We see the lineage of Ham and his four sons are listed there in verse 6. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Now the rest of the section traces through the grandsons of Ham to total 30 descendants in this section. Uh, These nations, you can trace them largely south of Israel, largely across Africa. Uh, Cush is is mentioned a number of times in Scripture as the land of Ethiopia. And in verses 7 through 12, we see the seven sons and grandsons of Cush. Let's look at verse 7. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Reamah, and Sabtica. The sons of Reamah, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kauna, and the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ur, Kala, and Resen, between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. Now in this list, there'll be a few that stand out. One who stands out here is, is Nimrod. Now the only detail we get in scriptures about Nimrod are there in verses 8 through 9. So there's a lot that we do not know about him, though we see his name mentioned two other times later on in the Old Testament. Mainly what was known about him, powerful man. He, he was mighty. So he was a mighty hunter, but there's a picture of power and might and Strength. Now, I want to come back at the end of this section and talk more about Nimrod. But as we go through this list of Ham's descendants, you're going to keep hearing about might and power and strength. And what's highlighted here with Nimrod, first of all, is his might. And we see the same theme of might in verses 13 and 14 with the seven sons of Egypt. Look in verse 13. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lehabim, Naphtuhim, Pathrusim, Kazluhim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtarim. Those names might sound familiar, some of them at least. They became mighty nations, these people groups. They attacked the people of God there in Israel. So many of you would be familiar with the Egyptians in the book of Exodus, enslaving the people of God, the people from the line of Shem, the people of Israel. We also see that the Philistines mentioned in parentheses there in verse 14. The Philistines, those who worshipped false gods and opposed the one true God and his people. Now, one of the most well-known Philistines in the Bible, Goliath, the giant Philistine, a picture of a mighty, powerful man mocking the God of Israel, seeking to destroy the people of God. Now, there are more details in this line of Ham than what we first saw in Japheth's line, because these are people that Israel had the most contact with. This would have been their nearest neighbors and the most conflict they would have had with this people group. Now the, the, the last part of Ham's sentence in verses 15 through 20, it reads like a straightforward list of Israel's enemies. Look at verse 15. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemorites, and the Hamathites. 
Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar, as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zebuim, as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Now remember that from Genesis 9, 25, the curse was on Canaan. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. And you see this curse unfolding in the story. You can trace the curse there of Canaan to cities like Sodom and Gomorrah. You see the link even in those cities between the actions of Ham and the wickedness of these cities. For all of these descendants of Ham, it totals to be 30 descendants. And when you view all of these 30 together, we see wickedness. We see a people who use their might and their strength and their power to oppose God and to oppose his people. Now, earlier, I briefly mentioned Nimrod. So let's let's take a bit of a closer look at him because we get the most details about him in this section. If you look at Nimrod's sons, we see that from him come mighty cities and civilizations. In verse 10... Babel comes from Nimrod. Verse 11, Assyria and Nineveh. We went through the the book of of Jonah a couple years ago. The plan is to go through Nahum, actually, uh, in a few weeks. So when we take a break from Genesis, we're going to go through Nahum, which is prophesying there to the people of Nineveh. We see the roots of of basically enemies of God coming here from Nimrod. So he was a, a powerful man. In fact, he was so powerful that his name became known as something mighty. His name was associated in Moses' time with might. And the original people that were hearing this story narrated by Moses, Israel, during their wilderness wandering, they would have heard these names. They wouldn't have had the response you and I did. Like, okay, we recognize some of them from learning things in the Old Testament. They would have immediately known who these people were. And they were tracing where they came from. And they were tracing this bless and this curse on this new earth in Genesis chapter 9 as God was giving forth blessing to the line of Shem and cursing the line of Ham. They would have made these connections and they would have understood, okay, this is why these people are opposing God and making war against us. Now the beginning of his kingdom, it's not a great beginning for Nimrod. It's Babel which again, we, we hope to look at next Sunday in chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel. But, but Nimrod's kingdom, the picture here, is that Nimrod's kingdom was the direct opposite of what God was doing in building and growing his kingdom. You see, Nimrod's kingdom was a kingdom of self-glory. He was one who lived for his own glory. Again, from Nimrod came the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Ninevites. They were wicked people who attacked the people of God and worshipped false gods. They were ones who, who used their might to attack the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And just like we saw back in Genesis 5 with the line of Cain, they were establishing cities, mighty cities, making a name for themselves, honoring their might and their strength. Well, the conflict pictured here with Nimrod, think about it like this. It's a conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. And again, that sets the stage of what we see in chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel. Well, since the fall of mankind, we see here, there have always been two ways to live, for the glory of yourself or for the glory of God. Either living for your own kingdom, the kingdom of this world, 
or living for the kingdom of God. In the book of Colossians, the, the only way we see to truly live for God's glory is to be transferred from one kingdom to another. In Colossians 1 verse 13, we understand God's work in salvation. It says there he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you have a Christian testimony this morning, your Christian testimony is this, God saved you. He saved you when you were dead in your sins, living for your own glory, living for this present world, loving sin, living in ways that dishonored him, completely incapable of repaying God the debt that you and I owe him because of our sin. And your testimony is, that, well, one day I kind of woke up and I just realized I need to live a better life and try harder and maybe start listening to things that my mom and my dad or my Sunday school teacher taught me. That's not your testimony. Your testimony is this, God saved you when you were dead in your sins. It was all by his grace and his power and his strength that he worked in your life to make you alive through faith in Jesus Christ. And in the moment that that happened, at the moment of conversion, you were transferred from this one kingdom, this kingdom of darkness, this kingdom of, of man, transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son, Jesus Christ. You see, the Christian testimony tells us we have a lot to identify with. We really don't know all of our ancestors, how we can trace them back. You might be from the line of Ham. Because the good news this morning is that God is redeeming and saving people from every line. As far as the curse is found, the blessing of Jesus Christ and salvation that is found in him has gone out. And we see the very beginning of that plan here in the Table of Nations in Genesis chapter 10. We find hope in God and we find hope in his plan to spread his glory on earth. Well, the final part of God's plan we see here in this Table of Nations Number three, his third part is in verses 21 through 31. God's plan is to bless the nations through his holy people. God's plan is to bless the nations through his holy people. In verses 21 through 31, we see the line of Shem. Right, so first we saw the descendants of Japheth, those who were far off, the ends of the earth. Next was the descendants of Ham, the neighbors of Israel. And finally here, we read about the descendants of Shem, Israel, coming from the line of Shem. And they are saved for last here, as the rest of Genesis will trace through this line. Let's look in verse 21. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Ashur, Arpachshad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Arpachshad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Almadad, Shelah, Hazarmarveth, Jira, Hadoram, Uzal, Dikla, Obel, Abimiel, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. The territory in which they live extended from Mesha in the direction of Sephar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem. 
by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. 26 descendants total listed here. Many of these would have been Arabian tribes or kingdoms settling along the Arabian Sea, settling along the Persian Gulf, and stretching across the Syrian desert. This is the line that was blessed in Genesis 9, 26. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. The line of Shem, we saw, would be a people who would praise God. A people that God set apart to be a holy people. Not because of anything good in themselves, but simply because of God's grace. And he set them apart for his glory to spread his blessing to the ends of the earth. Now the first one who stands out in this group is there in verse 21, Eber. Now you notice he's mentioned several times in this section, even before Shem's own sons. He's mentioned here. Now Eber is the root word Hebrew, Eber, Hebrew. From Eber, the Hebrews would descend. Now, in verse 25, he has two sons that are listed. The first one is Peleg. And we read the detail that in his days, the earth was divided. So I think this refers to the dispersal of the nations that will happen in the next chapter, in chapter 11 of the Tower of Babel. Now, here in chapter 10, that's all we read of Peleg. The rest of Shem's family is traced through his brother Joktan there in verse 26. But you may wonder at the end of chapter 11, there's another genealogy of Shem at the end of chapter 11. And in chapter 11, the genealogy there takes a different path. There, Moses doesn't trace through Joktan like he does here in chapter 10, but rather he traces through Peleg. And Peleg's line eventually leads to Abram, the Hebrew. God is is faithful, in other words, to preserve a holy people on earth, a holy people through whom he is going to bless the nations. Now we see here how this blessing of God in chapter 11, we talked about it last week, it flows from Shem all the way to Abraham, that God preserved for himself a, a people in the world to live in covenant relationship with him a holy people for his praise and his glory. The two things that the Lord promised Abraham when he made a covenant with him, land and descendants. He told him that he would be a father of many what? Nations. He changed his name from Abram to Abraham, promising to Abraham that he would have descendants and he would be a father of many nations. In other words, all of the nations would be blessed through Abraham. You see, it was never God's plan. For this blessing only to remain with Shem's descendants, but rather has always been God's plan to bless all the families or all the nations of the earth. And God did this through Abraham. You know, we thought about this last week, and I want to point your attention again there this week. The Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians in the New Testament, he, he shows there how you can be counted in this blessed lineage that knows the Lord. Galatians 3 Verse 29 says this, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. In other words, the Christian, we trace our heritage back to Abraham. No matter where you've come from, Jew and Gentile alike made one in Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham. You see, the blessing that God would send through the line of Shem and Abraham, it was himself. God would send the Savior, Jesus Christ, 
through this line of Shem, a real people. And that's why it's important for Christians to track back through Genesis 10. We see the heritage of our faith. Jesus didn't just appear out of nowhere. He came at the right time according to a plan of redemption that God had planned in eternity past, but also a long time ago in Genesis chapter 10. That Jesus would come from the line of Abraham. You could trace him down, the line of, of Judah. He'd be born in a specific place. When God sent the Messiah, the one promised in Genesis chapter 3, 15, he wanted his people to know this is the one you've been waiting for. This is the one that you've been hoping for. This God of Shem, this God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the greatest blessing is knowing him. The greatest blessing is that God himself, the fullness of God, has come in a person, Jesus Christ, fully man and fully God. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you didn't know this, we want to offer this invitation every week. You can know this God today. You can be blessed in him today. This isn't merely to come here and to gain an education about the Bible. I hope you learn more about the Bible. But the goal of learning about the Bible is that you would know the God of the Bible. And the only way to know him is to turn to his son, Jesus Christ, and to put your faith in him. And if you've come today and you have more questions about that, talk to someone who brought you today. Talk to one of our pastors at the guest end. In fact, now that we're back kind of indoors, one service, our pastors will be at the doors on the way out. Talk to one of us. We would love to share more with you about this blessing of knowing God by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, people often think of this covenant with Abraham being the, the first and great missionary passage of the Bible. But Genesis chapter 10, I think, actually comes as a, as a, as a missionary passage before text in Abraham. I mentioned earlier this is like an early map for missions. And I mentioned some numbers. Time to wake up now. I might have put you to sleep with those numbers. It's time to wake up. Don't miss this. Those numbers are there for a reason. And don't miss this. Line of Japheth, if you took good notes, 14 descendants listed. Line of Ham, if you took good notes, 30 descendants listed. If you were still awake by then, line of Shem, 26 descendants listed. I'm not asking you to do the math. I'll do it for you. You know what that adds up to? 70. 70 total descendants listed in this table of nations. Now, we've seen before in Genesis that numbers have a significance. They're not just thrown out there randomly. They're meant to point to something. And the number 70, the, the Israelites would have understood that communicated totality and completion. And we see this number 70 surfacing in other places in the Old Testament and New Testament. One place is in Exodus chapter 1, verse 5. When Jacob's descendants came into Egypt, line of Jacob coming to Egypt, how many were counted there in Exodus 1, 5? 70. In Exodus 24, chapter 1, the, the number of elders of Israel that went up on the mountain with Moses to worship God, we're told there in Exodus 24, 1, 70 elders. And then most importantly, we skip forward to Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. Famous passage, Jesus sending out laborers two by two, telling them that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Famous passage where the ones that Jesus sent out as lambs in the midst of wolves, telling them in verse 4 of Luke 10 to carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road. You know how many were in that group sent out two by two? You figured it out by now. Seventy. Seventy were there. 
And Bible scholars will look at, look at Luke chapter 10 and trace this number 70 all the way back in the Old Testament. They'll understand what's happening in the New Testament. And the new covenant with Jesus is that Jesus is sending out his disciples on mission, 70 of them, to bring back the nations, to bring back the people that God created to reclaim the 70, to reclaim them all for God and for his glory. And his plan to do this is in his son, Jesus Christ. As a church, what that means for us is the people of Jesus Christ, we've been commissioned in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of who? All nations. We have a concern for this city, but every local church must have a concern for the spread of the gospel to all nations nations. We can trace back to Genesis 10, God's plan to redeem people from every tribe and tongue and clan, from every nation, that the gospel would go forth to every language and in every language to proclaim the one who's sovereign over every culture and ethnicity and people group, God and his son, Jesus Christ. And friends, we have been through a tough year where we have lost a lot of things, but let me tell you the thing that's bothered me most this year, and it's not been wearing masks. It's not been social distancing. I know none of us probably love that anyways, but the thing that has bothered me most is that we have had to cancel all of our missions plans. Last summer, we had a plan for a number of you to go spend six weeks in Moscow to spread the gospel with our IMB missionaries on, at Moscow State University. It was canceled. There was another group planning to go at the end of June. There's about 12 of us planning to go. That was canceled. I got off a plane on March 7th, landing here in Charlotte from visiting over in Scotland and in Dublin with our uh, partners in the Pillar Network. All the kind of ideas of what we might do the next day, boom, we saw things change. There was a travel ban to the UK that still exists today. Hard to get in. Friends, that's been challenging. Now, we believe that God is not surprised by any of this. We understand there's providential hindering. We understand God is still at work. Nothing can change his plans or his purpose. But I want to call our church and ask us to pray. I want to ask us to pray like we did this morning in the pastoral prayer that these borders would open back up. I sat and I met over in our conference room on Monday afternoon uh, with a missionary who had to come back from East Asia. I'll give you a hint the country he was in. It's, it's where kind of the virus was traced to. He's not been able to return back there to be a missionary, and he's not sure when he will be able to. I'm talking with uh, Ricky Wilhelm, our partner in the IMB in Moscow. He's the only IMB missionary left in Moscow. 16 million people there in the city. They had a small team to begin with because it's hard to recruit people to go to Moscow to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He and his wife, only ones there, and as we've been praying, their visa is up June 15th, and they're told they can't renew it. Friends, that, that, that's hard news. It's hard news to receive. We trust the good plans and purposes of God, but may we be a praying people, and may we be a people that grows in our desire to see the gospel go out to the ends of the earth. And so I want to call the church, let's pray and let's prepare. Some of you were considering the mission field before COVID-19, and we want to help you continue to consider it as things open back up. I think we would have probably had missionaries on the field from this church had these things not been shut down. I think we would have had a few of you there serving. We got money ready to go to send you. We got partnerships ready. Let's pray and ask for God to work. We know that God has good plans. We know that he has 
purpose that cannot be thwarted. And let's also do what he's given us to do, to be responsible, to pray, to wait, and to prepare to act when we are able. Well, finally, to close out our time, we read in verse 32, these are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, in their nations, and from these, the nations spread abroad, abroad on the earth after the flood. God, in his grace, preserved humanity through Noah. He graciously repopulated the earth through Noah's sons, calling them to be fruitful and multiply, and by his grace, they did. And all of us today are connected to this one family. But the table of nations tells us it's not enough to be related through Noah and his three sons. We see through his three sons, division spread amongst the peoples of the earth as well, and the divided people of the world that we see in Genesis 10, what it leaves us with, sets the stage for God to bring blessing to the world through the line of Shem to Abraham all the way to Jesus. It's always been God's plan to spread his glory in all the earth, to save and to bless people from every nation. And in this age, God is uniting the church as a people, a holy people that he has called out for his glory and his name, uniting us through faith in Jesus Christ to God and to one another. And through this people, the church of Jesus Christ, God is calling back the nations. May we enjoy all that God is for us in Jesus. May we be filled with joy as we think about this blessing. And may we be those who seek not merely to be a reservoir of blessing, but to be a channel of blessing that God would work through us as his people for his glory that the nations would be glad. Let's bow and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for challenging passages in your word. And we thank you for the opportunity, the time to sit and to consider your word. And so we pray that you'd bring fruit in us from this time this morning. And Lord, we do ask, Lord, that, that you would be so gracious as to move through this congregation to spread the gospel to the nations. Lord, we pray that borders would open back up that partnerships that were starting to be planned, Lord, that you would bring those partnerships about to completion. Lord, we pray for things to change very quickly. Lord, we pray that you would keep missionaries like the Wilhelms in place, whatever channels or avenues that need to be pursued right now, give them wisdom to pursue that. But even above that, Lord, we just ask for your supernatural help. Lord, we pray that you would find joy and bring yourself glory through us, your people this morning, that the nations would be glad and be filled with joy as a result of your blessing through your people. In Christ's name, amen.